Now tonight we find ourselves back in Acts chapter 17. Um, and we're going to take a closer look at Paul. If you're like me, you look at Paul and you notice how effective he was. You marvel at how mightily God used him. Now we understand that back in those days, God operated differently than he does now with the completed word of God. Um, we, we don't see the same things necessarily that you see in the book of Acts. There's a good bit of Acts that is descriptive, but not necessarily prescriptive, okay? But God is no less powerful. He may not use tongues and other sign gifts anymore, but he's no less God. And there's no point that God wanted to see fewer people saved. There's no point that God wanted to see revival any less than we see in the, gospel, in the book of Acts. And so, yeah, it's a little bit different, but not. God's no respecter of persons. God wants to use you, and he wants to use me just as much as he wanted to use Paul. So we do well to take Paul and look at his example and find out what about him made him such a spiritual force. And man, was he a force. You ever known a Christian like that? My pastor uh, for many years, my, my, in my formative years, I would say in ministry, was Pastor John Brothers. And we'd go out on door to door and uh, somebody would be walking down the street, walking their dog or something, and he'd make a beeline for them. And I thought, well, they're, they're good as saved. They're either already saved or they soon will be because this guy who's now in heaven was a force when it came to soul winning. I mean, he'd have you tied up all in knots before you knew. He'd have you renounce your salvation just to get saved again. That's how good he was at it. Not really. He was a force. And you look at Paul. He was a force. And, and not for my own sake, but man, wouldn't I love to be somebody that when my time is done here, people say, that guy was a force for Jesus Christ. Well, he can be. What can we emulate about Paul that causes us and helps us to be a force for Christ as well? So this evening, we're going to speak on this topic, the strengths of Paul's witness the strengths of Paul's witness father would you help me as I preach this and teach this Lord uh, I sure need your help tonight would you just do in our hearts what only you can do and bless your word in Jesus name we pray amen the strengths of Paul's witness. I forgot an S there. That should be strengths if you're taking notes. Number one, his strengths were organizational. Not one of my strengths. But they were organizational. Look at verse number 15. Chapter 17, verse number 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, 
they departed. So these that have brought Paul to Athens, they've got him settled in. They are taking the message back to Timothy and Silas to come and meet Paul in Athens. They leave, and they leave Paul by himself. Now, if that's me, I'm hanging out at the hotel. Of course, they didn't have hotels like that back then, but if that's me, I'm hanging out at the hotel, and I'm waiting for backup. Not Paul. Paul was too organized for that. Paul saw this as time that could very easily be wasted. And so he follows his own counsel twice. Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 4, he tells people to redeem the time. And so Paul says, I'm going to redeem this time. I've got this time on my hands. I'm going to use it organizationally the best way that I possibly can. The question we have to ask ourselves is, how organized are we with the time that God has given us? Time is the only commodity that can't be replaced. You can, you can lose a fortune and, win, and gain it back. I almost said win it back. We're not talking about gambling. You could lose a fortune and gain it back. That's, that's doable. Dave Ramsey is a good example of that. You can, you can even, if God will help you, you can even lose your health and get it back. But once time is spent, it's gone. There's no getting it back. The closest thing you could come would be Hezekiah when God granted him 15 more years. But Paul saw time as a priceless commodity that needed to be well organized. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, how are we doing in the matter of our organizational skills when it comes to time? Oh, y'all, I don't, I don't preach from a position of moral authority here. I could stand to do a lot better, but so could we all. What were his strengths about his witness? He had organizational strengths. Then secondly, and this sounds kind of like, well, duh, but hear me out. He had spiritual strengths. He had spiritual strengths. Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Paul viewed life always through a spiritual lens. All right, he went to Athens. Athens, as we talked about this morning, you've got the Parthenon, you've got the Acropolis, you've got the Agora, you've got Mars Hill, you've got all these sites and all this sculpture and all this art and everything to look at. It's a beautiful region of the world. All these things to look at. But what does Paul see? He does not see the physical. He is not overcome by the physical sights he sees the spiritual he sees beyond all the trappings he sees beyond all the tourist parts he sees people who are either going to heaven or they're going to hell now, i joked a little bit this morning about walmart and yes i do notice whether or not somebody's at walmart in their pjs but what we really need to focus on is when we see people, fundamentally, before we see anything else, we need to see that that person in front of me, that person at the cash register, that person at the gas pump, that person down the aisle from me at the supermarket, that person that lives next door, that coworker, right now, at this moment, they have a soul that is either headed for heaven or it's headed for hell. I've told you, I am least spiritual in traffic. If I could lose my salvation, it would be while I'm driving. 
I'm staggered at how many people manage to get a driver's license that have no business having one. They all seem to be from the same areas. No. But the truth is, that person that cut me off, that person that, that, person that uh, rides in the left lane lower than the speed limit, and then when you go to pass them, they speed up, that person, if I'm looking through a spiritual lens, they're going to heaven or they're going to hell. We've got to see people beyond the physical. We've got to see people beyond the physical. The strengths of Paul's witness, the strengths were organizational, they were spiritual, but he also had some emotional strengths. Some emotional strengths. We're still in verse number 16. Now, Paul waited for them at Athens. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. We mentioned this morning that word stirred means to be moved to the point of anger. He wasn't angry at the Athenians, he was angry at the sin. He was angry at the idolatry and what it was causing. He was angry at Satan. He was angry about it. Now, here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. If we want to be transformational witnesses like Paul was, where are we at organizationally? Where are we at spiritually? But also, where are we at emotionally? We're not driven by emotions, but do emotions tell us where we are? Yeah. And where are we at emotionally? Oh, beloved, you know I mean this for me, just like you. When was the last time... Our indignation at or about sin even existed at all, let alone approached the indignation that God has. When's the last time we got upset about sin? But you know, you know what we've learned to do? We've learned to justify it. We've learned to work around it. We've learned to be okay with it. But Paul got mad. Are our emotions in tune with where God wants us to be? You remember when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus? It says he groaned within himself. What's that mean? He was mad. He was stirred. Because this, this, the death and the mourning and all that was going on around this, this is what he had come to fix. And he'd, had, he'd about had a belly full of it. But you? Isn't it interesting? We don't get upset about sin until it touches us personally. We laugh at stuff until our kids get involved in it. The strengths of Paul's witness, they were organizational, they were spiritual, they were emotional. You know what else? They were personal. They were personal. Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul, while, I'm having a tough time with this verse tonight, y'all. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit, singular, was stirred in him when he, singular, saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Is Paul alone? 
Isn't it interesting? Sometimes our convictions really show forth when we're in a group of other people that share those convictions. But what happens when you're alone? Are those convictions as strong when you're alone? Do I think Paul would have gotten upset about this had Silas and Timothy been with him? Absolutely, but they weren't. It's been said that character is who you are when nobody's looking. I would, I would suggest our spirituality is the same thing. It's who we are when nobody's around. I mean, it's easy to get in a group like this and get fired up about sin. But how personal is that conviction? How personal is it? How many only have the convictions of their group? And how many of us have convictions that seem to evaporate when we're all by ourselves? Paul's by himself, and he's just as fired up about this thing as if he was in a crowd of people that shared those convictions. If you want to be somebody like Paul, if you want to be a transformational witness, then you've got to have the organizational strengths that Paul had, and you've got to have the spiritual strengths that Paul had, and you've got to have the emotional strengths that Paul had, and you've got to have the personal strengths that Paul had. Then number five, obligational. This is a word. I looked it up. And I was so glad it was a word because I wanted it to be a word. I willed this thing into the dictionary. Verse 17. Verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Man, aren't you glad that there are Christians that they see sin and they're stirred about it? But that's only half the process. Because if you're stirred, but then it doesn't motivate you to do anything, what good did it do? Paul waited for them at Athens. His spirit was stirred in him, verse 17, therefore. Disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Paul saw a problem. He saw sin that was condemning people to hell, and Paul took it personally, and he felt that this was his responsibility. He had an obligation to do something about this. And if we want to have the witness of Paul, we've got to stop just feeling and start doing. Anybody with half a brain would look at our community, look at our commonwealth, look at our country and say, something's got to be done. This is terrible. But how many of us actually put feet to the fire and do something? Paul said, this is terrible. There's idolatry everywhere. There's three false gods for every person in this city. Somebody's got to do something. Then he takes it a step further. Why not me? If not me, then who? If not now, then when? And when's the last time we felt an obligation to do something and followed through and did it? Paul's strength was in his organization and his spirit and his emotion and taking things personally and feeling an obligation. But then you know what else, number six? His strengths were methodical. We're still in verse 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Over and over in the book of Acts, you see Paul following the same method. He goes to the Jews in the synagogue first and then he fans out from there. He does this methodically. 
Now, I am not for elevating methods over message. There are different ways to do the right thing. I'm not saying that we should become married to methods, but there are certain methods that just work, and it does us well to have a method that works and put it into practice so we know what to do when the time comes. And Paul is methodical. And we don't want to be too rigid with this thing, but we dare not be haphazard either. When we see the lost and dying all around us, we ought to have an idea of what we should do. What were his strengths? They were organizational. They were spiritual. They were emotional. They were personal. They were obligational. They were methodical. They were confrontational. There's a whole bunch of us. We're, we're with it up until that point. Confrontational? Yep. Now, I didn't say contentious. I said confrontational. Willing to look something in the eye and deal with it. Verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and sought to live before them the right way to live. Is there a place for lifestyle evangelism? Yes, our lifestyle should match up with the gospel. But it doesn't absolve us of the responsibility to actually talk to people. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Now, remember, it doesn't sound as, it's not as bad as it sounds. He's not, he's not saying, you know, put away your rabbit's foot and your horseshoe and all of that. He's saying you're religious and he's actually paying them a compliment. He's saying, but this isn't going to get it done. Your, 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 your pursuit of religion is not going to get you any closer to God or to his heaven. And he starts confronting them. He was willing to go head to head, armed with truth we are living in a day in which truth is considered hate speech the fact is the majority of things that we see as culturally acceptable today are just flat wrong and we need to be willing to speak truth to those situations well i tell you if i started hitting the lgbt crowd i'd get some amens but you know what? Heterosexual people ought not live together outside of marriage either. You know? It's interesting to me. If we're not careful, we can let our, we got an election coming up on Tuesday. We can let our political persuasions out, outgun our doctrinal persuasions. You know? Can, can I give you an example? Just so I can, you know, make some folks mad. I don't want to, but it's going to happen. If I'm honest with you, I got a bit of a libertarian streak in me. I think the intent of the founding fathers was as little government as possible. That's just where I'm at. Okay, if you feel differently, that's fine. We can love the Lord together. But, you know, honestly, I, I think the more laws you have, the less freedom you have. And so if there's a way for the government to get out of my hair, I sure would like for them to. And let's, let's start with taxes. We're working through something now. We're, we're about to, we've been asked to pay taxes on a boat we don't have. We do not have a boat, y'all. I don't know where that boat came from. I'd like to find it. I'd like to name it Visitation. Where's the preacher? He's out on visitation. Amen. 
Y'all laughing. That's the oldest joke in the book, y'all. <laughs> I got a little bit of a libertarian streak in me, you know? But I, I'm friends with a lot of libertarians. If you're not careful, you can take that too far. Because the full-on full persuasion of, of a lot of libertarians out there is the government should stay out of your business, and that includes abortion. Abortion's wrong. I don't care if you're a libertarian or not. And I can say I got a libertarian streak all I want to, but I believe the government at a federal level ought to outlaw the killing of babies. You know? Folks, I'm sorry. Smoking weed is no good for you, and it ought not be legal. But my libertarian friends, man, burn them down. Okay, but we're going to have problems. I do think there are times that the government does need to legislate against sin. You know? But if we're not careful, you know, we set our Bible to the side and we look at the party line. I'm going to tell you a secret. Republicans aren't right about everything either. Aren't you glad you're a Democrat? <laughs> it's like we've said many, many times. You go in that voting booth, you don't go in as a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, Reform Party, or whatever else is out there. Go in there as a Christian. Go in there as a Christian. Yeah. But I'll tell you, we'll, we'll set things aside because it doesn't fit our narrative. Paul went in armed with the truth, and he was willing to put the truth out there. Ye men of Athens. And he didn't leave out the difficult ones either. Dare I call names. Paul wouldn't have done well in that church down at Houston where that fellow just smiles and tells everybody everything's all right. Excuse me. Houston, excuse me. <clears throat> he didn't shy away from the tough stuff. And you know what the toughest thing for those people to deal with at that point was? Verse number 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans of the Stoics encountered him and said, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter, for, setter forth of strange gods. Why? Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. He took the one issue that the Epicureans and the Stoics, opposite ends of the philosophical spectrum, both of them couldn't, couldn't take on. He said, all right, let's hit them with that. He managed to take two groups diametrically opposed to each other and offend them both with one doctrine. Amen. You know where he learned that from? His master. He did it with the Pharisees and Sadducees all the time. Offended them all. And we don't go out to offend people, but we need to be prepared that the truth will offend people. But we dare not shy away from it. Verse 31. What do they struggle with? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. Yeah, people love to hear about judgment, don't they? But he brought it out. He goes on to say, Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. Paul brought the right message, armed with truth, even the difficult ones. Christian, if we're only willing to use truth that everybody likes, we're not going to get very far. Why, why was Paul so effective? His witness was organizational. It was spiritual. It was emotional. 
It was personal, it was obligational, it was methodical, it was confrontational, and it was relational. Paul looked for ways to relate to people. I don't, I don't say that you should be disingenuous, but is it okay to adapt your personality a little bit to your mission field? Absolutely. Hudson Taylor was a great example of that. Hudson Taylor adopted things culturally that let him get closer to those Chinese folks. When I moved to Alabama and I lived there for five years, I came in there, I, I was born and raised in Virginia. I was born in the same region that Robert E. Lee was born in. Robert E. Lee, you know, Supreme Commander of the Army of Northern Virginia. Robert E. Lee, Southerner. And yet in Alabama, I was a Yankee. Why? Because I was from Virginia. And I'm like, have y'all read any history books down here? I'm more Southern than you are. And they just, they just, you know, Yankee. So you know what I had to do? I had to learn their language. And I, I tried to be relational with them. And so I stopped asking for a garden hose and started looking for a hose pipe. And I stopped saying, no, you didn't. And I started saying, you ain't done it. Why? Because that's the culture I was in. I wasn't being disingenuous. I was just trying to survive. And I learned about white sauce. It's an Alabama thing. I never liked it. But I ate it. Then I move here to Appalachia. I'm still working on that. <laughs> there I was a Yankee. Here I'm a city boy. And I'm still working on it. I want to relate. What did Paul do? Paul found ways to connect with those people. Look at verse 28. He's trying to get across the truth, and he says in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. What Bible verse is that? It's not a Bible verse. It's a quote from a guy named Epimenides. He goes on to say, for we are also his offspring, which was both Aratus and uh, Cleanthes. Now, I'm not saying that you should dedicate an order amount of time to reading the, the books and watching the media of the world. No, but you ought to at least have some idea of what's going on around you so you can relate to people. I know just enough about a lot of things to be dangerous. I go, if I'm out door knocking and I see a NASCAR flag, and, and, and my knowledge of NASCAR is waning by the, by the year because it, it stopped being NASCAR years ago, but, um, you know, I mean, I just, I just got an idea that you ought to have to tighten five nuts on a, on a wheel, not one. I mean, really, think about it. We grew up here, you know, and now it's, ugh. If I wanted to watch that, hear that, I'd watch IndyCar. 
But man, I, I see some flag hanging and I go into race mode. Why? I want to make a connection. I want to be relational. You see a truck with blood and guts all over it? They're hunters. You see what NBT guys call booster droppings? They got kids. Be relational. Learn how to talk to folks. Figure out where they are. And try to give them truth to bring them to where God wants them to be. Man, we look at Paul and we see what a force for Christ. How did he do it? Now, obviously, God empowered him. But he did it by being organizational. Spiritual. Emotional. Personal. Obligational. Methodical. Confrontational. And relational. Now let me warn you, even with all of that, you may not see a lot of people saved. What do we see here? Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we'll hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed, among which was Dionysius, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Sometimes it's going to seem like slim pickings, but it matters to that one. It matters to those two. It matters to those five. But you keep chipping away, and with God's help, you too and me too, we can possess the strengths of Paul's witness.